want to talk for a minute about low expectations. Um, and so you can help me out in this. If you're online, you could, you could chat in the room, shout out. Where are some times that we might choose to have low expectations? The Lions. The Lions. Pick your favorite sports team. They did better than we thought, right? But yeah, so we choose to have low expectations for some teams that we hope for. What are other places? Politics. Politics. Yeah, if you don't expect things to, to be any better than they are, you're never disappointed. <laughs> New Year's resolutions. Yep, protect ourselves with low expectations. The weather. The weather. Michigan winter. We decide. Just don't expect much. Homework. Homework. <laughs> That's right. Whose expectations do you want to be low? Oh, I'm just... Um... <laughs> so what's good about having low expectations? What are some thoughts? Why is this... Why do we choose to have low expectations sometimes? No, not, Not get disappointed. Yeah. Maybe you could even exceed. You make your expectations low enough and you can be surprised by good. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I think we really do try to protect ourselves. In fact, I've seen some research that says here's the secret to happiness. Don't expect much. <laughs> right? If you expect a lot, you're just continually disappointed. And and actually they say there's some evidence that this is a way to be more happy is has have lower expectations of people, of relationships, protects us from disappointment. But so, what's bad about it? What's bad about having low expectations? Loss of joy. Loss of joy. Good, good word. We don't push ourselves. Right? We don't push ourselves. We might even miss it. Yeah. We, right? We might even miss our low expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's some wonderful things that we miss out on, right? There's some great good that we miss out on, that other people miss out on, when we just decide, let's not expect much. So here's my question. Do we ever have low expectations for our spiritual lives? To say, let's not expect much there because we don't want to be disappointed. We expect we're going to fail. So I was really challenged by the prophet Zephaniah Uh, quotes this word from God. God says, At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. God doesn't say, the people who don't expect anything, well, I'll just leave them alone. (laughs) He actually says, I'm going to punish the people who don't expect me to do anything, either good or bad. Or bad. Today, I, I just want to lead us in a prayer that God would help us to know the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want your name to be honored, that you would be praised. And yet sometimes we don't want to expect much because we don't want to be disappointed. Father, I pray, we pray, that you would help us to know you as the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That you would cause us to hunger for the life that you give, for the work of your Holy Spirit. Would you do that today, Father? Speak, Holy Spirit, open our hearts. Cause us to hunger for you and then fill that hunger richly by your presence. 
In Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen. I just want to say a word again about what we're doing this January. Um, been thinking a bit about what it is to be a disciple, a learner of Jesus Christ. And uh, boiling it down for myself, there are different ways to express it, but for me it's five relationships. It's someone who confesses, who genuinely and fully declares, first of all, God is my Father. To say God is my Father, and as my Father, He lovingly disciplines. To confess Jesus Christ, who is my Lord and my Savior, as one who sends us. To confess the Holy Spirit as His presence and His power in me. To do this together with God's people. And to do this to grow His kingdom in all creation. So to be a disciple is to say, God is my Father, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is His power and presence. I do this together with God's people to grow His kingdom in all creation. Those five great relationships. And we're right now in the middle. Uh, Today we're going to spend some time looking at the Holy Spirit and what it is to confess Him as the presence and power of God in us. Uh, So the title today is Filled with the Spirit of God. Um, we'll take a look at this, uh, this drawing here in a few minutes. Um, we're going to start in John 20, same passage we were in last week. And just like last week, going to highlight a couple other passages in John that clearly Jesus was thinking of as he spoke uh, to the disciples. So we're going to start in John 20. And again, there are handouts that are available that, that you can follow along the link as well. Um, John 20. Uh, is this short scene right after Jesus' resurrection. It's just one of two times that Jesus met with his disciples, and it's the only time he taught. And I'm convinced he chose carefully. He didn't just say, "Uh huh, I wonder what I've forgotten to tell them all. Oh yeah, you know, I think there's this thing I had to say. I'm convinced he looked at this time and said, here is a key time to tell them something that is so important for what happens as I depart. And so John 20, starting at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, then they are not forgiven. A powerful passage. Uh, We looked at this last week. Today, we we look at the latter part of it. And I'm first going to say, I'm not going to answer every question about this passage. (laughs) There are two reasons. One's the easy one. There's not enough time. The other one is, I don't have all the answers. There's challenging stuff here. Um, Yet, I trust and I hope that God will speak in a powerful way using these words of Jesus. As we saw last week, Jesus said twice, peace be with you. Let me give you peace. They're hiding, they're afraid. And Jesus says, peace be with you. He says, Peace be with you, first of all, and says the resurrection is real. See, I am physically here. I am the one who died. Peace be with you because God has victory over sin and death. And then he says, peace be with you, as he says, I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
said, here is this gift, this Holy Spirit. And he says, this is a key part, both of the peace and of the call. See, having God's call requires having God's Spirit. He says, I'm sending you, and as I send you, receive the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? I want to go back to two passages uh, in John where we learn about the Holy Spirit. The first one is in John 4. It's a conversation of this woman at the well. She'd come out to get water because she needed water to drink. She comes to this well, and Jesus starts this conversation. I'm just going to grab a couple of the the, the, uh, answers of Jesus. So verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Powerful expression. If you knew who this was, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. And then in verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. They're having this discussion about water, and she's come to draw water out of this well, but Jesus says, what you really ought to be looking for is is living water, life-giving water. And of course, all life that we know of requires water. And yet, Jesus clearly is saying, this is the kind of water that gives you true life, the life with God, a, a, a supernatural life. This living water is clearly the Holy Spirit. He says, if you just ask me, I could give you this water, the Holy Spirit. And in fact, Jesus says, it's going to be a spring of water. He says, I'm not just giving you some water in a jar. I'm giving you a source of water. And this source of water, I love the expression, it wells up to eternal life. He says, if you'd ask me, I would give you this water that is rich. It's abundant. It it brings flourishing life forever. He says, you ought to be asking for this water. And then this astounding thing that Jesus says, this water, this water that springs up within you that wells to eternal life, he says, the spring is in you. Right? I will, the water I will give them will become in them a spring of water, inside water that just keeps bubbling up. It's just an overflow of water. This, this living water, this Holy Spirit, he says, if you would just ask me, I would give you this water that is abundant like this. So then I want to go ahead to to John 7, uh, another episode where we encounter this conversation about water. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles was a time when the Jewish people were to remember living for a generation in the wilderness where they didn't have regular water. God had to keep leading them to water had to give them water by miracle. They, they had to trust him, and he repeatedly provided water, even out of a rock. He says, I will give you water. And so at this celebration, they were to live in tents, to remember what it was like to live in the wilderness, what their ancestors had told them, and to remember God provided. So a key ritual that's a part of the Feast of Tabernacles is that the priests would, would go down to a special pool in the lower part of Jerusalem. There was a pool, uh, the Pool of Siloam, And they would go down there, fill jars out of this pool, walk back up to the temple, which is at the top of the hill, and they would pour the water out and let it flow downhill. 
So they'd go down, they'd get the jars, they'd walk back up to the temple, pour it down in the front of the temple, and it would go down just on the road, on the street in front of the temple. And doing this was claiming this promise. There was a promise that in the day of restoration, rivers of living water would flow from the temple. One of my favorite Old Testament passages, Ezekiel 47. Here's the prophecy that they were probably thinking of. And it's just a couple of verses from here, but this is uh, Ezekiel seeing the restored temple of God. And watch what he says. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Then he goes on to talk about how this water increased and, and, and grew as it went on. But then watch these words. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the water flow, the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. I love that picture. Where this water goes, life bursts out. And it goes into the Dead Sea where nothing can live. And there will be swarms of life there. The prophets said, there's a day that's going to come when out of the temple will just be this flow of water that gives life everywhere it goes. And so at the Feast of Tabernacles, they would go pick, get jars of regular water and take it up and pour it out, just a couple of jars in front of the temple to say, someday this prophecy will be true. So in John 7, they're celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles. And then in verse 37, read this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus clearly is referring to what Ezekiel saw. Rivers of living water. Not a little bit, not a special jar, and if you get your chance, you go near it. Rivers just flowing out, and everywhere it goes, it brings life. And and this is the Holy Spirit. He said, this is what was promised. And he makes this radical claim. Come to me. Come to me to get this. He said, whoever believes in me will have these rivers of living water flowing from within them. Right? And again, this expression, it's not just going to be something you're close to. He said, if you believe in me, this flows from within you. An amazing abundance of the Holy Spirit giving life wherever it goes. And so you can see why some people were really bothered by Jesus' statement that day. They're coming to the temple saying, this is where God's going to do it. And Jesus says, no, it's actually me. I am the source of this water. His radical claim, he is the source of the living water. And he says that the Spirit will flow abundantly from within Christ's people. It will flow abundantly. It will be these these rivers of living water coming from them. And now here, see what he says. This would happen, he said, when he was glorified. This is what would happen when Jesus was glorified, which is the resurrection following his crucifixion. And so we go back to John 20, and Jesus said, Now I am sending you, receive the Holy Spirit. 
What's it like when the Holy Spirit comes? We're given a few different descriptions in in the Bible uh, from Ephesians. We read this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, but he's using this as an image to say wine comes into us and controls us. He says, don't be controlled by that. He says, be filled with the Spirit, and here's what to expect. Being filled with the Spirit, you'll be speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The command is, be filled. Be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit has been given, and yet the command is to be filled and be filled and be filled with the Spirit. And we see when it happens, this being filled with the Spirit overflows in praise and thanks to God and peace together. An overflow of honoring God and in song saying, He is so good, and this will come as the Spirit is present. Galatians tells us some of the other evidence of the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says this is what it looks like when the Spirit is living in someone, when the Spirit is giving these life-giving waters. Then we see in Acts 1 that when the Spirit comes, there is power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. When the Spirit of God comes, he brings the powerful life of God to all who are filled by him. So I wonder, why try on our own? Let's just have the Spirit come and do his work. And if I'm not loving to people, we say, well, I must not have the Spirit right now, and so I'll wait for him to do his work, right? Should we just wait for the Spirit and not try to work? So here's something that I want to express that was really, has really helped me when I think of the Spirit, when I think of God's work in the world. And that is that the Spirit often works through what we might call natural things. Right? So let me start with this. Sometimes God miraculously works without natural means. Sometimes God just does something that's a miracle. There is no explanation for it, like the resurrection. <laughs> Jesus going from being dead to being alive. There's no way that people played any part in that happening. It was a direct miracle of God. The Pentecost languages were like that. These, these Galilean fishermen who had never studied other languages all of a sudden were speaking languages they'd never heard of, that they didn't know. And it was just a miracle that day that God did it. Sometimes God works miraculously without any apparent natural means. I would say that usually God works through his people in the natural world. Usually God does his miraculous work through people and through the things that are in the world. And so here's an expression that Jesus gave. He says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He says, you should love people the way God does and just give abundant goodness all over the place, people who deserve it and people who don't, because he says that's what God does. Now, We don't say it's a miracle when the sun shines. Well, sometimes in Michigan we do that. But we don't say it's a miracle when the sun shines. We say there are natural reasons for this. And yet God is using those natural reasons to accomplish his work to bring good to all people. 
And so the Spirit often does this and works through natural things. So what's it like when the Spirit is at work in us? The Spirit's work to transform us. Well, I would say this, that when the Spirit is working in us to transform us, it usually includes what somebody once told me is faithful, a faith-filled moral sweat. You know, the kind of the moral sweat that says, I really, really don't want to be patient and kind right now, as Amara led us in prayer. I really don't want to, but I'm going to do everything I can to be patient and kind. I really don't want to love right now, but I'm going to do as hard as I can. And every now and then I have had physical projects recently as projects that Karen and I have had a chance to do in, in the family farm. And I need to, to break two pieces of wood apart. And I think there is no way this will ever happen. And I try with every bit of energy I have. And I think, oh, maybe it's starting to move. Maybe. And I work and I work and I strain and I'm sweating and, and maybe it moved a little bit. And finally... I see progress. And finally it comes out or I break the head off the screw and I have to find another uh, solution to it. But this is what it's like sometimes as the Holy Spirit transforms us. We say, I'm going to give it every effort I can do. And it's hard. And yet I know it's the right thing. And this is the Holy Spirit being at work. The Spirit's work to transform us usually includes wise actions. To say, that's not a good path. I'm at risk for temptation in this area, so I'm not going to go in that area. <laughs> right? It takes wise actions. It takes people who will rebuke and correct me. This is the Holy Spirit's work working through people. It takes persevering prayer. It takes repeatedly confessing and say, oh, God, I did it again. Will you forgive me? And repentance. It, it usually includes our devotion to growing. And it always includes the Spirit's invisible work in our hearts. Sometimes God just does a miracle in people's hearts and takes away bitterness just in the moment. Takes away a temptation just in the moment. Sometimes he does that. But my experience is usually it's a process where he wants to be a, us to be a part of it. So how does the Holy Spirit guide us? Or we pray, Holy Spirit, will you guide us the way to go? Sometimes there's just this sense that this is what I ought to do. And it's the Holy Spirit. But usually... It includes careful thinking. I'm involved with the board right now trying to say, we have some hard decisions. Well, let's think together, (laughs) right? Let's do some good research. Let's ask good questions. Let's listen to God and, and listen to wise people. Let's be in prayer. And whenever God says, here's a good thing to do, let's do it. Let's take action. And there is the Holy Spirit's invisible work where we say, I can't tell you how else I know this, but I'm convinced this is the path the Holy Spirit is leading us on. Sometimes he does that. Usually his work is through natural means of prayer, of counsel, of wisdom, of following of what he has said. And all of this with the Holy Spirit's invisible work. So waiting for the Holy Spirit's work is expressed by drawing on all the resources God gives, both natural and supernatural. Whatever he gives, we say, help me to hear you through these things. So Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. Rivers of life-giving water will flow out from within you to bring transformation, to guide you, to empower you. And so then, to take a look at this really challenging verse. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. 
So I want to tie that to the thought I just shared, that the Holy Spirit works usually through natural means and people, but He's at work. And that is God invites His people into the actual work of bringing salvation. God invites us to be a part of His work of bringing transformation, of bringing forgiveness. So we call people to trust in Jesus. Right? We, we say, call on the name of the Lord. Trust Him for forgiveness, for salvation. And when we do that, and they turn to Jesus in faith, they are forgiven. They stand forgiven. It has happened. In our declaration and their response, it happens. And tragically, sometimes, we call people to trust in Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. And when they turn away from him, they're unforgiven. They stand condemned. We play a part in this. So when we speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm convinced this is what's happening, in the spirit, our words have real power to bring salvation. God uses our words to declare the gospel to bring salvation to people. So in other words, when we speak the gospel, it's more than just information. So here's what I do. Sadly, I say I should tell this person about the gospel. I should tell them that we can't measure up, but God himself has given his son to die for us. And I think, but they're not going to believe that. They, they won't accept that. There are reasons why they're just going to be against that. And what I don't realize is that God, in his plan, might be choosing to use my words to bring the change, not to reveal the change, but in declaring the good news, he says, I want you to be a part of the actual work of salvation. So when we declare God's glory and we declare forgiveness in Jesus Christ, in the speaking of it, when we speak in faith, God changes hearts. So to say it again, our words don't determine whether or not people are forgiven. Right? We don't have that power. They have to open their minds in faith to Christ. And the Spirit's got to open their minds. Yet God invites us into the actual work of salvation that when we declare forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ, by that, God may choose to open hearts by our speaking those words. So in that sense, when we say they're forgiven, they are forgiven. And when we speak and they say, no, I don't want that, then tragically, in the authority of God, they stand unforgiven. Thinking about how we relate to God through Jesus with the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives the life-giving Spirit of God to all who trust in Jesus. And we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. He gives the Spirit to all of us, and then he commands us to be filled with the Spirit. So I want you to imagine walking across the desert. Uh, you've got a backpack. And walking across the desert, uh, you can take as much water as you can fit in your backpack. So what do you do? What would you do? You got your backpack? You, you can take as much water as you can fit in your backpack. So what do you start doing? What was that? Start packing it. Well, what if your backpack has a bunch of rocks in it? <laughs> We start taking other stuff out, right? We say, I want as much water in the space as I can have. Okay, so now imagine you're walking through life. And uh, let me say, so yeah, so let me say this. You can take as much hope, love, joy, and peace as you can fit with you. So I brought my backpack. (laughs) 
And I have a few things in my backpack. Um, so let me see what I have in here. I have a bunch of stuff in my backpack. That, so I have, what's this? A good thing to take across the desert. One problem. It's empty. Sometimes we have in our backpack empty rituals, empty hopes, and we say, that'll take me. We say, no, I don't want any empty hopes. When I do things to, to seek God, I want it filled with water. So I find this, I open it up and say, God, would you fill this with your spirit? I need your water. Right? Sometimes we carry a good tool. You know, it is good to have tools to do things, right? It is so good. But sometimes we have the tool instead of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we say, I'm going to do this work and I know how to do it. And what we end up doing is carrying heavy weight that is getting in the way of having the Holy Spirit fill it. I have, ah, baseball, right? Good thing to have. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to enjoy doing sports and having fun times together, but sometimes this is in our backpack instead of the Holy Spirit, rather than saying, Holy Spirit, would you fill this? I have in here stacks of paper. Always taking paper for meetings with people and planning. Well, a bunch of it's on the technology now too. But today I brought a bunch of paper. It's good to do that. But sometimes I fill my backpack with planning and work instead of the Holy Spirit, instead of saying, God, would you soak this paper? Would you have this so wet with the living water of your spirit that it's your work as we meet? So you can take as much love, hope, joy, and peace as you can fit in your heart. So what do we do? And what we want to do is to go through every pocket of our backpack, every part of it, and say, Holy Spirit, here's another spot. Would you fill that? Here's another spot. Would you fill that? Right? We do what we can to get it in every place that we can. You see, in Christ, we have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit's presence is experienced wherever the Spirit is present. And the sad thing is that sometimes we've got pockets in our backpack and we say, no, not there. I'll keep that part to me. That'll require some change. I don't really want the Holy Spirit there. And what will we do? Right? What if there are other things that fill these other parts of our lives? See, when we trust in Jesus Christ, he gives us the life-giving Spirit of God. And then he says, fill yourself with this. Find every little part in your life and say, God, would you fill that part with your Spirit? He says, rivers of living water, water that wherever it goes, life bursts out, right? It goes into dry ground and all of a sudden there are plants. He says, wherever it goes, it brings life. And he said, would you just bring this into all the parts of your life, that this life-giving water would be a part of everything that you do? So the application, first of all, is receive the Spirit, which is to trust in Jesus. The theme verse, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water come from within them. He says, if you will trust me, rivers of living water. And so to believe is to trust in the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is the good news. God is holy and good and always loving and just. And yet I am not. And the fact that I am not separates me from him, from life. It puts me into the Dead Sea, into water that's so salty, nothing can grow. 
It just shrivels up and dies. And that's where I am by nature. And yet Jesus' perfect sacrifice brings forgiveness in him. And so I trust in him. I say, I trust in your forgiveness. I trust in your transformation. I'll put my trust in you. And then the wonder, he gives the Spirit. And I follow. And to receive the Holy Spirit is to trust in Jesus Christ. To say, that's what I want. I want that life. And I can't find it anywhere but in you. And then trusting that is then to be filled with the Spirit. And the first thing I would say about being filled with the Spirit is to ask with faith to be filled. To be filled with the presence and power of the Spirit of God. Say, God, would you fill every part of me with your Spirit? Don't just give me your Spirit. Soak me in the Spirit. And so this this great expression from Jesus, he said, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God loves to fill us with the Spirit. He loves to do that. And and so the reality is that those who have truly trusted in Christ already have the Spirit. And yet, we are to go on being filled with the Spirit. And so we say, God, would you fill me? You've given me your Spirit. Now bring it into every part of my life. We ask our generous Father to fill us and to teach us how. We are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to start by asking in faith, to say every square inch of our lives and our souls, let this be everywhere, be life-giving in all that I am and all that I do. So I ask for you, for me, where do we want there to be joy and peace and freedom? Where would we like that? He says, take the Spirit there. Fill that part with the Spirit. Asking to be filled then is followed by listening and pursuing the active presence of the Trinity. To listen and pursue this filling. And so, as we've talked about, say, God, you're my father. You lovingly discipline. So I will listen to that. I will pursue that. Jesus, you are the Savior and Lord. I will listen and I will pursue. Spirit, you bring conviction. You tell me times, this was not loving. This was not kind. And here's what you ought to do tomorrow. Here's what you ought to do today. And we listen and pursue. Uh, Reading uh, in the Bible, we've talked about it a bit, of the regular habit of reading. I was reading this week, uh, Nehemiah. They were doing a great construction project, and yet there were enemies who attacked them. And this expression that Nehemiah says, he prayed in faith, and he set guards. (laughs) He didn't say we prayed in faith and then didn't worry about anything. He said we prayed in faith and we took action that was consistent with our prayer. That God would protect and would provide. And God uses so often human and natural means, so let's do it. So when God points out the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we listen and we pursue it. We say, if you bring conviction, I will take action by your strength to do it. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to ask God to do it, and then to listen and pursue this relationship with God and his presence in all parts of our lives. And then it's to expect the Spirit's powerful work. So this is where I go back to that first statement from the prophet. Don't be like the complacent ones who expect little of God. And I confess how easy that is. 
I realize it's a lot more work when I go into a conversation with somebody to really believe that God will be at work today. It's easier just to show up and see what happens. And yet how sad it is how often I didn't say, Holy Spirit, would you be active in this conversation today? Would you guide me in what to say? Would, would you guide? Would you open my heart? Would you open their heart? And expect them to do it. So this prayer from Ephesians, just so powerful. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Jesus said, rivers of life-giving water will flow in you. And we say, would you soak me? Would you fill me to the measure with the fullness of God? We're not to be complacent saying, what does God ever do in the world today? What has he ever done in my life? We, we, we say, when has it been? We say, God, I want this. I want these rivers of life-giving water that life just can't help but burst out wherever it goes. Jesus gives a life-giving spirit of God to all who trust in him. And we are commanded to be filled with him. In every pocket, in every corner of our lives, to say, I want you, Holy Spirit, there. So I ask the question, not for you to answer out loud, but for us individually, where in your life do you want the life-giving spirit of God? Where is it needed? Where do you want this bursting forth of life? And then this prayer, I pray that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Um, if if the, the music team would come on up, and I, I'm going to lead us in a prayer um, and then go into the song, but lead us in a prayer that is this very thing, to pray that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, that rivers of life-giving water would spring up in us and overflow in us. That we would expect much of the work of God among us. So I'm going to leave a time of silence for us to, whatever the place it is in your life, you say, God, here's where I need life. I want life. Would you bring that? Show me your way. Help me to listen and to pursue you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for such an amazing gift. Jesus, what a promise. Even now, Holy Spirit, cause us to hunger for your ways. Speak now and fill us as we pray. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing soul. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew my heart and make me whole. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do that for each one of us. I ask that you would teach us to to submit, to expect your presence, to not put rules on what it's like when you are present and the things you might do. 
that we would expect superbounding life, life that cannot be stopped because of the gift that Jesus purchased for us, opened the way for us to have, to give us an abundance of the life-giving spirit flowing out through us. We thank you for this gift. Please fill us. Do your work, Holy Spirit. Bring praise to our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.